Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Our topic today is spiritual evolution, spiritual revolution. How do the timeless practices of yoga and Ayurveda provide a methodology for healing ourselves, healing the world, and inspiring a future we can all work towards? I'm delighted to be joined today by Mas Vidal. Mas is a teacher of yoga and Ayurveda and author of the book we will be discussing today, The Evolution Revolution, Yoga, Ayurveda, and the Rise of the Soft Power Culture. Masvidal integrates a background of athletics, therapeutics, science, and ecology into a dynamic synthesis that has led him to become an innovative voice in the field of integral yoga and Ayurveda. He offers certification and education programs internationally and maintains an active counseling practice that embraces Vedanta, Ayurveda, and Vedic astrology. He follows the lineage teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda of the Self-Realization Fellowship and Swami Jyotir Mayananda of the Shivananda lineage. You can find out more about Masvidal and his teaching and books at his website, which is DancingShiva.com. You can also find Mas on Facebook at Dancing Shiva Yoga. Welcome, Masvidal. I'm so glad you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Namaste, Laurel, and it's a pleasure to be here again uh, for a second time. So thank you for having me back. Yeah, well, thanks for mentioning that. Listeners can find a previous episode with Moss about his uh, uh, earlier book uh, in our archive. You can just enter his name, Moss, M-A-S, Vidal, V-I-D-A-L, search for it, and uh, it was a good episode. Before we dive into our dialogue about spiritual evolution, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing, whether we're walking, sitting, just bring our attention to our body in space, just feel our body, and in particular feel the surfaces that support our body's weight. Perhaps our feet are on the ground, our weight may be supported in a chair. Just noticing, paying attention to this moment, this moment right here, right now. Mm. 
And then bringing the attention to the breath as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale. And exhale. On the next inhale, noticing the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how the air has been warmed as it passes through our body, through our lungs. Continuing to pay attention to our breathing, here's something to contemplate as we rest here. This is from Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. We find our greatest happiness in the open field of possibility, yet search endlessly for the shelter of certainty. We find our greatest happiness in the open field of possibility, yet search endlessly for the shelter of certainty. Imagine living freely without restrictions, forever conscious of your essential, unbounded spiritual nature, abundantly contributing to the well-being of all. Feel this to be true now. Cultivate this joyful experience as your consciousness expands and your life more fully expresses your divine self. Think of the bird that flies. First, the grip on the branch is released. Once again, Masvidal, welcome back to the Yoga Hour podcast. I wanted to start uh, with something that you wrote in the preface of your book, The Evolution Revolution. You write, with this second book, I elaborate on these wisdom traditions side comment, they're talking about the Vedic wisdom tradition. So with this second book, I elaborate on these wisdom traditions in order to explore the concept of individual evolution. I prompt readers to ask questions such as, am I evolving? What does it mean to live an evolutionary life? Am I living a life that is segregated from nature or one that embraces the world as a reflection of my own consciousness. These were just really lovely questions, I thought, Moss. So what drew you to focus your book, your new book, on individual evolution? Well, as a student and longtime practitioner of uh, yoga, um, you know, the practices start to slowly um, take over your life in a way where you begin to realize that there is no higher purpose than to self-realize. And the yoga traditions define um, the highest form of yoga as moksha dharma, that the highest purpose of our existence is to have spiritual freedom and integration with the consciousness that pervades this world and that consciousness that pervades all living things and pardon me as a uh, 
American and practitioner here in the West, um, the stereotype of yoga as a fitness, as a, as a physical thing, has always created this, this aversion for me. I've really felt very pushed away from that because to me, yoga has been so near and dear to my heart um, as a path to happiness, as a path to evolution. So I, I really try to um, emphasize that throughout this book because I, I really want people to understand and begin to redefine what yoga really is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want Americana to, again, um, convert a, a, a great tradition that has um, existed for thousands and thousands of years that has helped so many throughout mm-hmm. the world. Um, and I don't want our culture to turn it into something that it is not. Mm-hmm. So it is about evolution. And I want people to begin to ask that question, am I evolving? Mm-hmm. Am I living an evolutionary life? Nothing is more important than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I enjoyed the way that you framed it because my own experience of yoga is that it has been very transformative in my life and transformative in a positive direction. I hadn't used the word evolve or evolving about that, but I, I like it. I like the uh, the way that it frames, you know, that. So in addition to evolution, you include the word revolution, the evolution revolution in your title. So what's the significance of, of that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so many in the, in the scientific world have heard of these periods in human history that define the, the collective consciousness, if you will, of the world. Um, for example, the, the cognitive revolution, the um, agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, more recently, the scientific revolution, um, particularly in the last um, 100 to 200 years, we can see that science has become a predominant factor in um, sort of the values of human life and how we make decisions. And and, um, so what I wanted to do is use that model, which I think has some limitations, but it it can be used in a way to help us understand the world cycles. And we are currently, as per the the astrology tradition and and what is called the yugas, something I discussed in more detail in my first book, um, we are in a very pivotal revolution. We're going through a tremendous change as as a human culture, and um, we're seeing that began approximately in the mid-1800s, both here and in India. Mm -hmm. By no coincidence, this spiritual uh, revolution, if you will, began simultaneously on two opposite sides of the world. Mm 
And I feel that we are in one of the most pivotal times in human history. This is a time to capture the opportunities that we have. One, a growing unity between the Eastern and Western cultures, which was a hallmark of of Swami Vivekananda, Yogananda. They came with that that sort of torch lit, that there is an importance in both cultures, and we must bring these two together. That's happening. Mm -hmm. That's been happening for the last, um, you know, 150 years or so. But it's really happening now. We can feel it. You Mm -hmm. can't deny it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we're we're feeling a, a, a type of revolution. We're feeling a type of a renegade movement within our cultures, particularly the ecological culture those that are more drawn to truth, to natural living, to um, living in harmony with nature. That in itself, the mere fact that we are beginning to recognize that there is something sacred about this planet, there's something very special and sacred about the animals and the plants and the seasons and the minerals and all of these things that embody this earth, the fact that we're recognizing that is a tremendous revolution that's going on within the consciousness of all of humanity. Mm. Yeah, that's a really lovely way to frame it. In your book, you contrast the question, am I evolving with another question, am I happy? Which perhaps is more familiar to people, am I happy? And I enjoyed the contrast that you made between those two. So would you say more about the distinction between those two questions? Am I evolving and am I happy? Yes. So, you know, I introduced that concept of happiness in the very beginning of the book in a somewhat superficial context, because when most people are asked the question, are you happy? they make that determination based on the material world, based on the things of this world, their senses, right? So, you know, do I have money in the bank? Um, Do I have a good partner or husband or wife in my life? Um, Do I have children? Um, You know, am I traveling a lot? Um, am I going out to dinner? All of the things that we kind of uh, are stereotypical success um, in the Western world, especially in the Western world, um, are what we would define as happiness. But I'm not, um, I don't want people to um, associate uh, happiness with that. And as you have read in the book, Further, I, I, I oppose the, the, the main point of what is success. Right. We have to ask ourselves, what is real success? Is it really, are we really successful when we have um, many accolades, money, fame, and whatever it is we've completed and done in the outer world? Is that real success? No. So, Those things don't bring real happiness. 
and evolutionary living and asking ourselves the question, am I evolving, has to do with our inner relationship with the divine. It has to do with our ability to connect to the pure consciousness, the collective grand consciousness that pervades um, human existence, and root ourselves in that domain. Mm -hmm. Time and space is transient. Things come and go. People come and go. Places come and go. A human life comes and goes, right? We, we come into these bodies constantly, back and forth. We've done this uh, hundreds of thousands of times, if not more. So we have to begin to create a balance between our inner life and our outer life. Mm -hmm. that to extend that a little further it's our inner culture evolutionary living and uh, recognizing that we're evolving has to do with cultivating a new inner culture a new relationship with what it means to be alive mm -hmm. being alive is not merely you know, dazzle and frazzle, um, buying more toys and enjoying the material world. That's certainly a part of it. That's certainly a, a wonderful aspect of life. But that is not the whole package. That is not the purpose of And so this is what I want to contrast between evolutionary living and um and real happiness. And, and the book further goes into explaining and exploring and finding uh, happiness within us. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, exactly. And that's what I was going to pick up on next. So, um, <laughs> you know, the the question about happiness and one of the main practices of, of yoga is set forth in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, the beginning of the second book, second pada. Um, defines three practices, so self-discipline, self-study, and self-surrender as main practices of yoga. And anyone who is trying to practice self-study has got to notice that pattern that happens with happiness if we are tying it to our external life. So there's something that you want. There's something maybe small, like a you know, like a new piece of clothing, or maybe there's some. Um, maybe you want a new car, maybe it's something bigger. And so you're very, you know, intent on that and you get the new car or the new pair of shoes or whatever it is that you want. And then, you know, you're happy for a while, <laughs> but it doesn't take very long yeah. until that thing does not really make you happy anymore. Like the new car, you park it in the parking lot, you know, and someone dings the door, you know, and now it's got a little dent, you know, in the new car. Anyway, I'm just right. trying to point well, to how, you know, how we tie our happiness. And this is not something that is is really hard to see. So if people haven't used that self-study, I encourage you to do that, to watch this process in yourself. And uh, Yogacharya O'Brien, my teacher, always talks about how things cannot bring you something that is not inherently of their nature. And so something that is temporary in the world cannot bring you permanent happiness. It just, it just can't. It's not, it's not in its nature. And you contrast that in the book, and I'm going to re read this little thing that you wrote. Um, Vedanta, the great philosophy of India, presents a fascinating perspective on happiness. 
Happiness is not something we are seeking or trying to attain, but rather our true state of being is happiness and it lies within us. Again, we are seeking out outer happiness, but rather our true state of being is happiness and it lies within us. So would you say more about that? Yes, and I want to just mention one of the points that you make with regards to buying something new or, you know, some tangible item, and we equate that with happiness. But what what I want people to understand is that isn't real happiness. It's actually conditioned consciousness. It's a condition within the mind that brings up this superficial sort of uh, sensory feeling that um, is a release of hormones actually within the body. So it is it is a superficial level of happiness and it's it's very dependent on this these external devices and these external um, sort of responses that we're having to to the outer world. So, so this Vedanta, um, and I'm glad you brought this up because most people look at Vedanta as a, a kind of a theoretical um, approach to yoga or a more philosophical aspect of the yoga tradition. And um, spending many years with Swami Jyotir Mayananda, who to me is the foremost um, proponent of Vedanta in the modern age. I think the work that Vivekananda did by just planting that the Vedanta seed here, and then Swami Ram Tirth, whom I also attribute um, much of his teachings in the book to, um, a, a, Swami Jyotir Mayananda really has brought Vedanta alive as a living practice. Mm-hmm. And and I'll share a couple of principles with regards to how Vedanta is practiced on a moment-to-moment basis. One is this idea of discernment and recognizing what is real and what is not real, right? So when we look at the mind in Western viewpoint, Western or scientific medicine, they point to the head. Right? They say the mind is okay here. And they're always pointing to this area where the brain is. So there's always a correlation of the mind to the brain. Mm-hmm. And it's only up here inside of this skull. But according to Vedanta and how it influences the greater, broader yoga tradition, the mind is within the whole body. Mm-hmm. Mind is not just the brain the mind uses the brain to operate its systems, nervous system, digestive system, all of those things. In fact, that's where the basis for mind-body medicine comes from, that we understand that consciousness within the instrument of the mind influences the brain, programs the brain, conditions the brain, and those signals, those those uh, energies are sent via the nervous system to the body. So the body is essentially a reflection of the mind. Mm-hmm. Well, what we see and experience in the body 
in health and whatever it is, um, is basically the mind reflecting onto the body. But Vedanta looks at the mind within the whole body, right? If you look at the chakras, the chakras go all the way down within to the deepest part of our spine. Mm-hmm. And the lowest chakra, it can be correlated to the element of earth, mm-hmm. right? Then water, then fire, air, ether. So we see the five elements playing a role within the mind, within consciousness. So we recognize that as consciousness descends into all of us, into our human form, it descends in these layers, if you will, these vibrations of the elements. Vedanta says, discriminate. You have thoughts. Are you those thoughts? Mm -hmm. You have emotions. Are you really those emotions? You have senses. You smell, you see, you taste, you touch. Are you really those senses? No. So we have a sky. We see clouds in the sky. Mm-hmm. The thoughts, the emotions, the senses, and all of these manifestations of the mind are merely clouds in the sky. Mm-hmm. And what we're needing to do is go beyond the clouds and mm-hmm. connect to what is clear, what is vast, what is eternal. And that's what we see in the blue sky. That's what we're attracted to. Mm-hmm. It's the light of consciousness that uh, pervades our entire being. The whole body is divine. The body is a sacred temple, right? And I talk about this, I make a point within the Christian traditions, and I explain a little bit about this within the book, that um, they t- there was a movement to go outside of the body uh, to go to the church. But what we're trying to do in Vedanta is come back into this is sacred. You mm-hmm. have sacredness within you. Mm. Really well put. And with that, unbelievably, we're already at the end of the of the first segment. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with yoga and Ayurveda teacher and author Moss Vidal. Moss is the author of the book we're discussing today, The Evolution Revolution. You can learn more about him at his website, dancingshiva.com. This will also be on our website, theyogahour.com, where you can contact us with comments and questions. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 Discover the power within UnityOnlineRadio.org The voice of an awakening world 
Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and I'm here with author, yoga and Ayurveda teacher and practitioner, Moss Vidal, talking about his book, The Evolution Revolution. So, Moss, you write in your book that meditation is one practice that supports um, our well-being and is the secret to evolutionary living, which is what your book is really about, evolutionary living. You write that uh, one measure of success through meditation is the ability to live simply and identify with the living world. Success is where one begins to exist in a manner that seems inseparable from every moment and all that surrounds their life. I just love that. Success is where one begins to exist in a manner that seems inseparable from every moment and all that surrounds their life. I wanted to ask you more about meditation. How is meditation the secret to evolutionary living? Well, meditation, as as many of your listeners may know, is the highest form of yoga. Meditation is a way to calm the mind. It is a way to go beyond the um, aspects of the mind that sort of riddle our lives with restlessness and a distractedness and, and, and a loss of purpose in our life. So meditation helps us to go beyond our thoughts. It helps us to get beyond the triggers of the emotional mind or what I call the, the um, action-reaction dynamics. And look at the world. A person sees uh, a certain action, they react. They, someone is something, somebody says something to someone, then they react. So this is the ego aspect of the mind. And essentially, meditation is, in the simplest way, a way to calm the mind. Mm. And science has proven that meditation can change the brain. It can change um, conditioned consciousness. That means habits, patterns that are difficult to overcome. And what meditation starts to do is reprogram the brain Mm -hmm. so that the brain works for you, Mm -hmm. not against you. This is the challenge that most of the world has. The conditioning of their brain, the programming is so strong. It's being repeated so many times that they make an effort to reverse it and they don't see any results, and they give up. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this is this is this is the this is the the saddest part about it. Um, and what people need to realize is that meditation takes time. Meditation is um, effective when it's consistent. It's not how long you meditate, but how regularly you meditate. And I often say you're better off meditating five minutes a day than an hour once per week. Mm -hmm. That five minutes a day is like a a groove in the record, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. And you begin to, that groove gets deeper and deeper. 
And this is what I try and encourage people to do. Now, I want to bring up one more point because this is a, a, a broad and a really important topic with regards to the book. Vedanta, um, I mentioned as a living practice, um, helps us to look at the world as a reflection of our own consciousness. Okay, The world is not something separate. It is not something different than us. The world is living. The world is a reflection of our consciousness. And the process of integrating Vedanta and discerning from what is real in your life and from what is not real, unreal, is begins with listening. By listening to the outer world, and I'm not talking about auditory listening. This is not just listening to the sounds. I'm talking about to reflect, to observe, to see. What am I doing? Observe your own actions, your own karmas. They're telling you something, right? And so this is an important aspect of learning to listen rather than look at the world as an object and we objectify the world and we look at it as separate, but the world is your consciousness. Mm -hmm. What you're seeing is what's inside of you, right? Mm -hmm. And, and as you begin to listen to the world, we learn from it. We grow as we grow our capacity to love and to have more compassion for human life, for animals and for nature grows. And then naturally we trust and we grow in our capacity to let go and surrender that, you know what? Divine consciousness is within me. Divine consciousness is within you. Divine consciousness is within nature. It's got my back. I'm connected to that. I can let go. I can trust that the divine hand is carrying me in the direction that I need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I, I really like that. I like the way that you that you put that. So we we began the program with the question, am I evolving? And so I wanted to talk a little bit about, well, how do you know? How, how do you know that you're evolving? So you give several markers of potential spiritual evolution that we can talk about. A person begins to feel a greater connection to their surroundings and to the energy of all things, kind of like what you were just saying. <laughs> um, the increasing realization that you are the soul. Not that you have a soul, but that you are the soul. There's an increased attunement between the mind and body. The mind becomes more reflective and less reactive. Again, something you just mentioned as a benefit of meditation, certainly one that I have recognized in myself. And the mind begins to discern the difference between needs and desires. So these is I thought this was a really great list, which is why I wanted to I wanted to mention all those things, feeling greater connection to our surroundings, a realization that we're the soul, 
attunement between the mind and body, becoming less reactive, and then discerning the difference between needs and desires is a great list. Why do you think it's important to notice these kinds of changes? Well, I, mostly because these um, these markers are different from what we have defined success to be in the modern world, right? Um, simple living is not what we typically <laughs> define as successful in the modern world, right? right. There's there's a there's a name for the big house and and the things and the acquisition of more and more, and it seems. Um, almost the antithesis of, of that, right? Um, so I wanted people to know them because when you begin to recognize these changes that are going on, these attributes, and it's important to understand that these are natural qualities of the soul, mm. right? These aren't things that are unique to just one person in India or to a, a realized yogi. No, this is these are the natural attributes of the soul. Stillness, calmness is our true nature. To be anxious, to be restless, um, to have disturbed sleep is, is not a quality that the soul is trying to imbue us with. The, the, the soul allows us to grow, again, in our connection to all living things. It allows us to become more sentient, right? To feel more. That feeling is, I'm not, again, not talking about the, the feeling of the senses, but an intuition. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and as you grow in that, one very powerful thing begins to transform within your consciousness. And it is the understanding of the principle or the law of reciprocity. When we recognize and grow in our evolution, we recognize that everything that we do has an equal effect and response to the outer world. And we can no longer continue to think of I as benefiting myself. We have to think of we, and we have to begin to think more in this way as a global community and do more to help each other in this world and recognize right? Namaste, right? We, I am bowing in recognition of the spirit that in the soul that is within you is the same that is within me. We're portions of divinity. And as we continue to grow in that, we cannot continue to work in the world and take, take, take without giving back to this world. We must live in this world in a way that honors reciprocity, that gives to this world and helps sustain this world. And imagine how different this world would be if just a few more people began to live that way. That is the purpose of life, 
to serve our human brothers and sisters, to help us each other, to help each other grow in our evolution. I'm gonna, I know you have a, a few more questions around that, but this is leading into more and more, and I think we're growing in, in the culmination of what I wanna bring in at some point is the importance of the lunar energy and the goddess, mm. the feminine factors. Mm -hmm. Let me just say one thing. So what you were just saying, you know, yeah. about this uh, way that we, you know, need to also think about giving back and not just taking brought me back to the quote that I shared at the beginning. And I just wanted to go back to that. Um, this part, imagine living freely without restrictions, forever conscious of your essential, unbounded spiritual nature, abundantly contributing to the well-being of all. So anyway, I just I thought that uh, quote was a really good one for our conversation today. And what you were saying just reminded me of that part. So but yes, Moon, go ahead, please. Yeah. And I'll and I'll, I'll, I'll jump off of that point you just shared. You know, as we we grow in our connection to ourselves, we our freedom grows. We become unbounded. We become unrestricted. This is being alive. This is coming into our true nature. Now, one of the things that I see and recognize as a portal, as a doorway into this domain, is first and foremost is recognizing that we are all born of a womb. In Sanskrit, we call this Prakriti. Ayurveda says, what is your Prakriti? What is your mind-body type? So it asks, it, it asks that question, what portion of those elements um, are predominant in your constitution? Well, Prakriti is also the womb of creation. When we refer to creation, we refer to her as mother creation, right? right? Divine mother, mother nature, not father, but mother, right? Uh, capital M. And this has always been a uh, cornerstone of this tradition. And India has always worshipped nature. We see this uh, throughout the Vedas um, in the forms of gods that nature and the different aspects of nature, fire, wind, um, ocean, um, all of these were recognized as forces, as gods. And so our um, uh, connection to the feminine has been lost. And the point that I make in the book is that this is a result of a change in the calendar that was instigated by the Romans. And the Romans changed the calendar and we began to follow what we know as the uh, solar calendar, right? Or the tropical or uh, zodiac. And that changed the, um, the way we look at the year. Dates became fixed and um, the Eastern world, uh, particularly India, China, the uh, more ancient cultures also began to follow that because the Western world began to follow that. But we just had the Lunar New Year. Mm -hmm. China still celebrates it. India still 
determines the date for all of its festivals by looking at the solely lunar calendar. What I'm calling for, and I see this as something that will eventually happen as we grow in, in our respect for nature and recognize that nature is divine, we will naturally look to a calendar that balances both sun and moon, and that's the solely lunar calendar. And look at what we've seen in the last 1500 years in the world, the devastation of empirical rule, which devastated the world for well over 1500 years, the Romans, the Greeks, everybody created an empire, they wanted to conquer the world. Um, and we moved to becoming a more patriarchal uh, society. And we began to look to men as our leaders. But what about women? And what about the power of fertility? What about the power of compassion and care and devotion? That is a feminine energy. And as we grow and begin to respect feminine energy, um, we're going to grow in our evolution. And this is really important in yoga because we recognize three primary powers within our consciousness. One is the power of courage to overcome gross impurities, addictions, um, you know, strong, strong attraction to uh, time and space and to territory, the lower chakras, basically. And the tradition says, well, honor the goddess Durga. Second region of our consciousness is the disturbed mind, the distracted mind. So the tradition says, recognize that there is beauty in life that there is abundance in all aspects of life. And for that, we look to Goddess Lakshmi. She opens that abundance by opening the heart. And, mm -hmm. and notice that when the heart is open, the mind is calm. When the heart is closed, the mind is vikshepa, distracted, disturbed doesn't have a proper orientation. And then lastly, as we go into those higher centers, um, there is still this tendency, even though I know you meditate, I meditate, much of our community is doing their form of yoga and meditation, but still we, there is this, this little tinge of ignoring. We still ignore of Warana, we still ignore and forget our true nature. Saraswati, Goddess Saraswati says, learn, cultivate true knowledge and realize what your real nature is so that avidya no longer exists and only vidya predominates your consciousness, the wisdom of pure consciousness pervades your life. So these three goddesses are alive within us. They are alive within nature. 
And as we embrace and recognize the power of the moon, the beauty of sensitivity, of compassion, and the importance of motherly life, this power begins to awaken within us. I appreciated that about the book that you do focus on the feminine. And of course, there are um, the divine forms that you talked about, the three goddesses, Durga, Lakshmi, and Sarasvati. Um, and also um, just a, um, like, for example, you know, the sun salutation, if you talk about just Hatha yoga, there's a sun salutation, but there's also a moon, <laughs> a moon practice as well, which you talk about perhaps doing, you know, more in the evening as it's more, you know, calming and centering. Um, so the, the bringing in of the feminine, I do think is a, is a, is an important um, a- aspect of wholeness, really, as we, as we move forward. Well, we have about three more minutes, and I wanted to give you a chance uh, as we come toward the end of the show, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Say there's someone who really is interested in this idea of uh, am I evolving? Where where do they start? Great question. And I'm going to go to the culmination of the book and the four Uh, principles of practicing yoga. First, listen to the world. Mm -hmm. You can practice yoga by observing the world around you. Observe the people and the places and the things that are an integral part of your world. Listen to what they're telling you. There is something to learn from everyone, even the stranger on the street that may say something, um, may allow us, um, give us a key, if you will, to open something in our consciousness. So there there is something so alive in this world that um, the world is our guru. The world is our teacher. We're all teachers to each other. And this is what I love about the path of karma yoga. These actions, these activities, this this functional, practical world that you see is here to guide us and to teach us. Listen to it. About one more minute. Thank you. From those experiences and from the things you're listening to, learn from it. Grow in understanding, grow in your patience, grow in your connection. Then by uh, learning, we will naturally grow in our love, the third component. The second component is learn, it's called jnana yoga. The third is bhakti yoga, grow in your devotion and your love and your compassion for, for others. And then lastly, Trust. If you know you're doing the right thing, if you know that you're at least making a little effort each and every day, then trust that the divine will take care of you. Listen, learn, love, and let go. Bring the four yogas into your life as a living practice, not as a mechanical 
practice. Mm. That was great. I, I really like the um, the way that you summarized each of those. So listen, learn, love, and let go. Really beautiful. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. We've been discussing spiritual evolution, spiritual revolution with Moss Vidal, the author of the book we've been discussing today, The Evolution Revolution. You can find out more about Moss Vidal and the programs that he offers at his website, dancingshiva.com. And we will have a link to his website, dancingshiva.com, on our website, theyogahour.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Yoga Hour Masvidal. It's been really great to talk with you and to talk about your new book. Thank you, Laura, for bringing me on. Really appreciate it. For listeners, we hope you join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, CSE is offering daily meditation online in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. In the afternoon from 4 to 4.30 p.m. We also offer Sunday satsang from 10 to 11 each week. All these times are in Pacific time. We invite you to join Yogacharya O'Brien's year-long online program, Dharma 365. It's a unique opportunity to immerse yourselves in spiritual practice and live with a higher purpose. You can register through CSE's website, csecenter.org. You can also learn more about Yogacharya O'Brien's books at her website, ellengraceobrien.com. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when Yogacharya O'Brien will be joining me. She is the founder and spiritual director of the show, and we will be discussing Change Your Destiny, which will draw teachings from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. And remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your listen to your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado, Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at Unity Online Radio. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.